Assalamu alaikum, brother. Peace to the Peace to the universe. We are back once again for one hour black power thinking. Um this is the Anchor Podcast. I'd like to thank Anchor for putting this podcast out into the universe. Welcome back, brother, to another week of chaos and madness. How are you feeling? Uh, I won't complain, black man. Yes, sir. Um, if you'd like to um, uh, call into the show, it is one eight four four eight four four. Got the goddamn number zero four one four. That's one eight four four eight four four zero four one four. Access code five two zero nine four nine, and you can call in and be on the show. Um, you know, this week, brother, we um had to call break the glass for the emergency call in. Um, we had a debate about um, what's going to happen to your boy, 45. I'm joking about it being your boy, but I wanted to um, at least have the phone line open if anybody would be up at 2.49 a.m. in the morning on a Friday that ain't partying and doing other things. <laughs> you sound a little low. I'm just moving around, so my phone is uh okay, and I have it on speakerphone, so uh, yes, so when I move it away from my mouth, it probably sounds low. Right. Well, do your thing, brother. We'll we'll manage to get through it anyway. <laughs> I um ordered Zoom. I paid one twenty nine for annual Zoom fee. I want to see how that works one day. I haven't um tried it yet. It's supposed to be Zoom Pro. Um to get on video. But tonight was so important. I just wanted to make sure that we have a dedicated line and so that's why we're on anchor over all the other access to the universe. Got it. Um what did you think of um our our emergency action <laughs> um let's see what do we call it it wasn't a debate but it was certainly got um passionate um we talked about um why i think there's nothing going to happen to trump once he's out of office i don't even think there's anything going to happen to him in new york there'll be a lot of uh, drum beating and chest beating but ultimately like any conviction of um, police that kill innocent civilians there will be pageantry but nobody wins that beauty contest well what I think is um you know, I I used to think that um, 
or still think that I am a fool. But I think that uh, if I were to look into dictionary, were it literal, like your face would be right there. <laughs> Under what definition? <laughs> like, 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 like. <laughs> to the nigga that don't believe shit. <laughs> no. My face would be right there. No, 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 not not there. <laughs> what, what, what I'm talking about is the definition or the word literal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like you, like, like, for example, for me, if someone says something to me, like, I will hold them accountable for what they say, <laughs> like, word for word. Mm-hmm. For example, if, you know, someone said to me, well, I told you this. Well, I would say, no, you didn't. You actually this three times. And these were the three times that you told me this. <laughs> three times. Now, you, on the other hand, what I discovered is, like, if you're reading context, Unfortunately, brother, you're breaking up. Okay, I think I might have to use my earphones. My earphones. Okay. Um, but I, I can't put them in now because if I put them, well, let me try. <clears throat> but you, on the other hand, you would take context and and use that literally. <laughs> right? It's almost, it's almost like arguing with a Jehovah Witness. <laughs> arguing, um, you know. <laughs> you know, cold Christian about you know, Genesis you know, one, two, three and you would just you you would just stay on this is what the book says this is what the, this, this. and it's so literal, it's like you're following the word you know, detail by detail and I think sometimes that's where we you know, where we get lost it is <laughs> was so literal and so as I was listening to the conversation all I kept thinking about was how literal you were and you were in my opinion like not flexible like you would not move from that point and so I was able to get your point but I was also able to hear the other sides but you was not budging from that you (laughs) were like this is the point this is what it says this is what you need to do. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, it's like dot, 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 dot. We're going to follow these bullet points. You know, right exact to the letter. And I was like, you know, and, and so it gave me like a a, a um, um, like a wake-up call. Like, like how I may be. <laughs> You know, I'm always holding people accountable for what the conversations that they may have. <laughs> but if you say something to me, you know, I'm going to ask you, well, where did you get that from? <laughs> you know, and I'm going to, you know, make you substantiate what it is that you're saying. And if you hmm. can't, that, then whatever you're saying is going to ability to me or for me. Right. And so when I was listening to you, I was like, wow. I thought I was literal. <laughs> you know, this is, this is, I'm 
I'm going to read you these two sentences. Listen to these two sentences, and this is the fact. And I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so that that was the first thing I think I took from from the discussion. Yes, sir. <laughs> I um I tend to agree. Um the only um thing that um that motivates that type of uh behavior out of me is the fact that somebody will tell me something and I'm going to say now you have to prove that. Like you just mentioned that I I do I do the literals. But um I don't appreciate when people are not correct and that shit is going out into the universe. At least be correct or at least be flexible. If you show no flexibility, I'm going to return that to you based on what you said. Okay, you don't have any flexibility. Let's challenge what you said. And you have to show and prove based on that challenge. Because all I said was A, B, and C. You're saying that this is the definite what can happen, and I'm saying that's not the way it works. I think I do have a background in law that gives me the right to say what I say because I've seen legal cases and how they work for the client's expectations versus what is going to happen in court. And what a legal person does, that whole law firm that gets in contact with that client is there to teach them not about the law, about what's going to happen to their case. They're going to tell you, oh, no, 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 they're wrong for this and that. And you're going to explain to them before they get into court, listen, this has to be done and this has to be done. This is what you have to prove. This is the evidence that you have to bring. If you cannot produce this evidence, it's not going to be, oh, let me go home and get it. It's going to be your case is dismissed. So you have to dot every I, cross every T, and you still may lose your case. It depends on the um, how the judge feels that day, how the jury feels that day. Nothing about what you think is a guarantee is a guarantee in law. It is as arbitrary and capricious as you can get. So you can't let people make promises to you. A bad lawyer or a bad attorney is going to tell you, oh, I can win that case. That's because he wants your money. But every lawyer goes into a case thinking that he's going to win. It's the defense against the prosecutor in a criminal case. But it's lawyer against lawyer in a civil case. And it's even in small claims court where much of the evidence and all of this other stuff is not necessary. It doesn't have to follow procedural because it's two um, regular people fighting about small claims. You don't have to follow all of the, like you were a lawyer and that had to go to a law school. Those small claim courts don't turn out like you want them. 
you may be perfectly honest and the judge for some reason doesn't believe you because he has to a judge or adjudicate every case make a decision on every case based on a protocol if you don't meet that the threshold of that protocol whether you right or wrong lying or innocent he has to judge against you and I don't think people understand that and I tell people about politics I'm like don't say that that's this is what's gonna happen because this attorney or this um, person told you that it's going to happen. Politicians are like lawyers. They want you to believe that they can do what they say they can. But the first thing that we run into as a problem is day one of Biden being into office, the first thing that they ask after all of the pompous and all the celebration and ceremony was when they got to the question and answer. This is where you find out real actual facts. And so they asked the, the, I think that's his press secretary, what's going to happen now um, with the case for impeachment of 45? Well, she said, well, we have to see it went from definite, we're going to get this person um, barred from being able to run for office again to, well, we have to see what the Senate says. And guess what is going to happen after the Senate? Even if they um, are able to convict him, it still has to go to the law. And the the process of that Senate hearing is not judicial, meaning that it is not about law. There's nothing legal about it. The only way that you can remove a president from office is you have to invoke that 25th Amendment, and you can only do that in court, not in the Senate, not in the House. You you know, I think part of the problem of, of what I'm hearing you say is that I can actually appreciate um, the stance that you take, right? In fact, I would I would engage that like all day and all night. <laughs> I like, you know, I like that type of um, intellectual stimuli. It, you know, I, yes, sir. I, I can engage in that. You know, and I feel like what you just did was adjudicate like a whole case, right? Mm-hmm. I can appreciate it. I think the problem where people you and I go wrong is when you take that position, who are political or people who aren't. Um, like, um, like law savvy or whatever. Right. You no, know, people aren't lawyers. People aren't um, like. Right. Like my my uh, bachelor's degree is in science and history, so I can appreciate like when you go, when you start going into detail and all that stuff. I like that. I appreciate that because I'm going to challenge you every step of the way. Right. You challenge me every step of the way. I can appreciate that, but the people that you are probably having a conversation with most of the time or not. Right. So they are not going to appreciate any of what you just said. Right. And in what you said it. In fact, they're probably going to find it aggravating. Exactly. So and want me to shut up. <laughs> so I think that you I, I, I think the problem is you you're having conversations in atmosphere 
atmospheres or environments that is not going to be appreciated or accepted. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful with the audience that you're having that conversation with. Right. Otherwise, you're going to leave there very frustrated. Exactly. Which is what I said about us being unproductive. Actually, our conversations are pretty damn productive. But to the the lay person that's that's just listening to this, people are intimidated by by that, and they should be because they're not familiar with that industry. So um, when when I say that our conversation is unproductive, it's not a, a slight against you. It's it even when I challenge you, it's not a slight against you. And you said the same to thing to me it's not a slide against me but um what it is is that um we need to continually keep in our mind the audience needs to be included in the conversation or the process and so not that we have to dumb down our conversation but we need to make it appealing to the audience so that's what i mean by unproductive so Right. Once again, here we are at the 18-minute mark in the effing universe, and we are putting our thoughts out into the universe, and the ultimate goal here is black power thinking. It ain't the only goal, and it's not the only way to have a conversation, but um, it keeps us focused on something other than the the way a conversation can can uh, fall out of focus and all the other things that could happen in a conversation. Uh, we'd like to de-escalate the the contrasting or conflicting arguments and somehow open it to the general audience. Um, we try to do this in 20-minute segments, and um, tonight I'm going to let you start off giving that precursor. <laughs> <laughs> set you up again, brother. I always do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, 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 I think that... Um, where we started was was a, was a precursor. I think that um, a lot of things what you talk about to me is trying to get um, the whole, right? The whole mm-hmm. of uh, the black community. How do we get them all uh, um, aboard? And I think that um, starting this conversation off and and identifying where we go wrong in the black community is how we communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. Right? And sometimes I think our communication styles is what turns people off. Right. Right. And so like you because we're because we're friends, right? I mean we can have conversation, you know, and at the end of the day we know it's all love. Right. right. Uh whether we agree or disagree. But if we're having communications with other people, we have to be cognizant of who we're having conversations with in our communication style. Because 
like with you and I, sometimes you and I could be saying the same thing, but saying it very differently, and it comes off, you know, right? Like like we're disagreeing, mm-hmm. but but it's just our style of communicating, right? Right. And so I think I started off the conversation by saying, "Wow, bro, I thought I was literal, but but listening to you, you know, I was like, wow, now that brother is really literal, right? <laughs> like." You know, like I like to hold people accountable for the conversations that they're gonna have with me. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I don't even know if you know I picked that up from you or where I picked that up from. Well, I mm-hmm. picked that up from a lot of a lot of different places because if you were gonna be a political science major, you were definitely gonna hold people accountable. So yeah, I think there were developmental stages probably for me in terms of, you know, um, the classroom of studies that you and I, you know, had together and then going off to um, college and then that being reinforced mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, holding people accountable for what they say, you know, even in literature or whatever, you know, if if someone is saying something, if someone is writing something, um, you know, my, my professors always taught me that you have to be able to substantiate what it is that you're writing, what it is that you're saying. And so, that's my my frame of reference. That's the way I think. That's the way I communicate. And sometimes that's problematic. You know, just even in my very, very personal relationships, you know, whether it be, you know, home or kids, you know, you know, my wife or whatever, you know, I'm always holding them accountable. And that's why, you know, this year I was saying to you, um, like I had never celebrated Christmas in my mm-hmm. first- but my kids this year said, well, we want to have a tree, right? Mm-hmm. But what they did was they came to me with a PowerPoint. <laughs> you know, they had all these, they, they, they created this PowerPoint. And they, okay, this is why we feel we, we need, we want to have a tree. You know, um, you know, here's, um, you know, our, our points of why we think it'll be effective and like it, I mean, they just literally like had all these details about the pros and cons of having this tree, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, so again, as I listened to you start off, uh, or or uh, start off this podcast, is it made me think about wow, how literal have I been to them, or how literal am I as a person? You know that even in my own household. When people, you know, when my wife or my kids approach me, they feel like they need to have a strong argument, you know, a strong plan, just to have a conversation with me. They know that they, I don't know what I created in doing that because I didn't, I, I, it wasn't intentional. Right. My personality that they feel like, you know, we need to be able to substantiate our argument because <laughs> he just ain't going for a simple conversation. <laughs> yes. Or just, or, or just your simple opinion. Hmm. No, it's just, it's, it's not an easy sell with me like that. Right. And so that, that can be a, a blessing to have that, that type of skill and yet a curse when you try to, to just be yourself amongst ugly, other, other people. Yeah. It's, yeah. 
Catch 22, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yeah. And uh, this is the way I am. And um, I, I just had to yell at my daughter because she she uh, was demanding that I do something for her after asking me a favor. And I say, I usually say no to favors, but I'm going to grant you this favor. What do you want me to do? So she went through what she wanted me to do, and I didn't do it the right way she wanted me to do. And then she starts going in. No, I need you to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen, stop right there. Your favor is over. But you promise, no, <laughs> I take back my my word is bond, but um, I'm not going to let nobody dictate to me how to do them a favor. If you wanted something done, you need to do it yourself. And that's why I don't like people asking me for favors. So it it it's a catch twenty two either way. You, you have to establish boundaries of what you'll tolerate in a conversation. And you also have to be understanding of who you're in the conversation with. And we're trying to do that with our audience, and uh, sometimes we fail at it. Mm-hmm. Um, it we are at the twenty-five minute mark in DF and Universe. I've got a person, Angela, from uh, California, trying to get into the conversation, but she's breaking up the uh, recording with a text. I'm gonna choke her. <laughs> um, she can't hear me now um, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back for another segment of One Hour Black Power Thinking in DF and Universe uh, bear with me brother while I try to get her on the line if I can't um, I'll get back to you within one to two minutes at the most okay do you need me to hang up uh, yeah we're going to um, I'm just going to reinvite you back to Anchor but um, you don't have to, it's not about a phone issue. I'll just do what we regularly do. Okay. We just hang up from Anchor, and um, I'll text you right back with the next segment to begin. Okay, cool. Peace. DFN Universe, one hour black power thinking. And um, I, as we left off talking about one night in Miami, and our first subject was productive conversation and dialogue, I am reminded that um, when it came to authentication, when we talked about one night in Miami, there's certain things that you can't allow people to get away with in conversation. Um, But then you get accused of being um, too smart for the conversation or or just too serious for the conversation. And um, they decide that you shut up because (laughs) 
<laughs> because of what you know. Like, oh, you think you know everything? No, I'm just trying to correct you on something. Well, I, I, I think that what we have to be careful about that and and going forward is that um, what has happened over time, um, particularly as it relates to race or racism in America, is that white folks have convinced black folks that if they talk about race or they talk about racism, that, that they're the ones that are racist. Hmm. Right? So if you want to talk about psychology and how psychology works, is that, that is, is exactly psychological. Hmm. Because what people have done is they have made you psychologically think that if you're the one that's talking about race, then you're the one that's racist. And being divisive. Right. So so what happens is they're able to um, I don't know if I want to use the word trick, but but it, psychologically it call that tricknology. Right, right. But but th- so they're able to convince you psychologically hmm. that something is wrong with you as opposed <laughs> to something that's wrong with them. Or racism. Right. So <laughs> it's almost like um you and I had the conversation when we talked about uh, Dr. Joy D. Guru, who talked about um, post-traumatic slave syndrome. But one of the biggest things that she talked about in post-traumatic slave syndrome is cognitive, cognitive dissonance, right? And so what happened with white folks is white folks, and telling their history, when they talk about George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, um, all these different presidents that came you know, prior to how they were great men, right? And then understanding how they that they were these great men, you had to cognitively distance yourself from the bad things that they did, so that you can accept all the good things that they did. Hmm. And so that's what historically white folks have all always had to do, whether they did it intentionally, you know, or whether they did it unintentionally this is what they have historically had to do. They had to cognitively distance themselves from the bad things that their ancestors and their grandfathers and their fathers did. Hmm. And so what we have to be careful of is what white folks are doing is they are training us training us to distance ourselves from the negative stuff that white folks have done so that we don't bring it up so that they could be easily acceptable today in terms of who they are. Hmm. So, so, what, so what they have started to do is train us <laughs> to remove the way that we think or know about history as it relates to white folks and the bad things they've done. So you don't bring it up. If you don't bring it up, then you can't remember it. Hmm. And if you can't bring it up, if you can't remember, then you don't remember the negative things and the bad things that white folks have done. Now, I go a little bit deeper psychologically, right? So psychologically, there was this guy named um, Ivan Pavlo, right? Mm-hmm. And so what um, Pavlo did is he had this thing called classical conditioning, right? And in classical conditioning, 
what he did was he he did this study with dogs, right? And and in his study with dogs is he noticed that dogs would would salivate when they <laughs> you, you laughing? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with this study. Okay, so he so he did this thing with dogs where dogs would salivate when they <laughs> saw meat, right? So what he started to do was what they call classical conditioning was he started to look at um, how dogs salivated when they saw the meat. So he started to introduce um, this the, the this bale, right? And so this bale, he would whenever he introduced a food, he would introduce he he would ring this bell, right? And so what. Well, ultimately, what he ultimately learned was that even when he removed the the food, the meat, and just rang the bell, the dogs would naturally salivate. Hmm. He called that classical conditioning. Hmm. Right? So he would condition the dog to think a certain way when they saw the meat and when they heard the bell. So even when the meat was removed, when they heard the bell, they still would do the same thing. Kind of like what the slave master did with the slaves, right? <laughs> the classical conditioning. Now, some people were some people were like this. Uh, they call it um, what do they call that thing? Um, some letter. Um, I forget the name of the letter. Um, but there was a this letter that they say that oh um, Willie Lynch letter, the Willie Lynch letter, right? And the Willis letter taught all these slave masters how to treat the slave. Classical conditioning is just that, right? Mm-hmm. Because what happened was they trained the slave so much in that when the slave master showed up, they will automatically react a, a certain way. So if we go back psychologically, you know, this is what, what Pavla understood about dogs. He eventually implemented this in the human beings. Hmm. That that even when the stimuli wasn't there, even when the stimuli wasn't there, the stimuli is just like what we talk about with the stimulus check, right? <laughs> even when the stimuli wasn't there, if you convince the people by the bell, so you don't actually have to give them a check. You just tell them that the check is coming by ringing a bell, and they and they instantly get happy. <laughs> they instantly sal- you, you know salivate by the bell, even when the check isn't there. Hmm. Right, that's almost like psychologically. If you think about what Trump would do, right, is it he underst- It's almost like he understood Pablo's <laughs> psych- psychology, right? Because you you know it. He, what he said was. He he gave them a check initially, right? <laughs> right. But even when he removed the check and, and and gave them the idea of another check coming, they responded the same way they responded when they got the check. So even though the check wasn't there, psychologically, they responded the same way. So he said, I'm gonna give you a new check. <laughs> but the new check was a bell. Hmm. It wasn't actually a check because the check never came. Hmm. So he just rang the bell. He removed he removed the actual check 
and gave them a bell and made them respond the same way. Classical conditioning by by Pavlov. That is uh, exactly what we need to understand, and we fail to understand it as black people. Uh, this is one hour of black power thinking. Uh, we just went live on Instagram, brother. Um, I wanted to go back over this classical conditioning, and I wanted to add in one other factor, the sleight of hand. Um, because did you hear what, um, who was it? Um, the people that uh, stormed the uh, Capitol in the um, failed siege of the Cap- Capitol Hill, do you know what they were chanting? No. They were chanting Hang Pence. Did you know that? I think I did hear that. Yep. Do you know that that's the sleight of hand and the classical conditioning that we fall under every time? We fall for it every time. Now, if they say Hang Pence, there is the out for Trump, and people don't even realize it. All Trump has to say is, if I incited the, the riot, why would they say hang Pence? Just a little sleight of hand like that says that he didn't incite the people. Those people are not his people. Because why would he tell them to attack Pence? But in fact, he did. He did, right. He did. He he he. In yeah, fact, said verbally. <laughs> right. If Pence, he in fact verbally said that. Right. Pence is Pence, Pence is not going if to. They do. can get you distracted like that, and let you believe that this was his mob. Then they've already won. This is a distraction. Yeah, no doubt. Um. No doubt. What I wanted to also uh, bring up uh, another point that we were making earlier about um, having a conversation and how quickly those conversations can get out of control and nothing productive comes out of the conversation. And um, allowing someone that's not in your field of study to say something and you just can't stop yourself from correcting them and whether it's right or wrong it's unproductive what happens to the psyche of the person that's trying to correct somebody's behavior what's going on there Well, I, I think it depends. I think it depends on. Um, I think it depends on their motivation of why, mm-hmm. and 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 how they're trying to convince someone. Are they trying to convince someone because they just need to be right, or are they trying to convince them because it is the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you have to know when to be flexible with that, right? So depending on your audience, big or small, your um, desire to be right 
or your desire to, to prove right is what might be problematic. Hmm. Because if it's because if it's just that you want to be right, then what does that mean for you? Hmm. Right? Because if it it means that much for you to be right in 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 the conversation as opposed to an overall healthy conversation, sometimes the desire to be right is probably not the most effective tool <laughs> at that time. Right? So it's like me having a conversation with um, uh, I don't know, my kids or my, my, my friends or my wife or whatever. Mm. Um, is, is it always the time to be right? Um, it, it, it's, it's relative, right? And it, and it depends on the conversation. Because what I want to do, you know, in, in terms of raising my kids is I want to always give them the opportunity to have a voice, but have a voice in a healthy um, and mature way, right? Meaning that, okay, you're 13 or you're 17, you have a voice, but your voice should be in a healthy in and in, in a mature way. Meaning that you you don't just get to speak, you know, without any boundaries. Mm-hmm. But you can you can have a voice, but it can't be reckless just because you have an opinion. Right. So it's not about me being right or wrong, or you being right or wrong, because right and wrong sometimes is relative, mm-hmm. depending on the depending on the the perspective. So if it's just my perspective that this is right, that's one thing, right? But you know, and you might have a perspective, and your perspective might be right, you know, depending on where you're coming from, right? And and I I need to understand that because I I might understand things from my perspective as an adult and as a person of my age. That's how I see it. But I need to be open enough to hear your perspective because it might you might not be wrong. Mm-hmm. You just might be you just might be right from your perspective. And so what I want to do so that we can align ourselves is understanding, is, is helping us both understand one another's perspective and understand where you're right with where you are and understanding where I'm right with where I am, you know, and just meeting one another in those places. That's the healthy conversation. Yes, sir. Um, one of the things that um, would, would frustrate me is trying to establish clear boundaries for the conversation and that usually doesn't happen with a person that's passionate about what they're talking about but they don't know what they're talking about you're passionate about it but you're not speaking actual facts and um, I think that pisses people off that I, I, I begin to set up a boundary okay if you're saying that, then you can't go past this line. Because if you go past this line, you have to agree with me. And if you don't go past that line and you stay where you are in your understanding, here's how I'm going to attack it and show you the flaw in where you're standing in a conversation. Um, we do that in chess a lot. I think a lot of people don't realize how uh, cognitive chess is and how psychological it is 
and how much you have to pay attention to the way a person is playing the game. And it, it's very serious. But everybody doesn't know how to play chess. Right. So if you're playing chess with someone who doesn't know how to play chess, right. then you are <laughs> you are actually the loser, right? Mm. Because you 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 because you and, and the interesting thing about chess is you you become as effective as the opponent. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you're playing chess with someone who can play chess, then you are going to get then you are going to be a better chess player. Right. But if you're playing chess against someone who doesn't know no chess or know how to play chess, then you know you aren't really being effective, being an effective chess player. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, it's almost like taking advantage of a kid. Kid just doesn't know. Right. Chess player just doesn't know. So you're making these advanced moves against someone that doesn't know how to defend the move. So even if you're winning... is that I can teach you how to play chess without even telling you it's a game or that it's chess. But you can't. You you can't you can't you can't teach someone something that that they're not willing to learn. That they're not open to. Yeah. And that is the point of a productive conversation. Knowing yeah. when a person is not open to learning. Yeah. And so that's when I cut conversations off. It's um it's difficult to um have to do it but um you have to know that all lines of communication are effective only when they stay on the line as soon as they disconnect the pro- productivity cannot start or continue yeah yeah, so I I think any conversation, I mean, you have to always be mindful of um, your intention, right? Where you're trying to go with the conversation. Are are, are you trying to, um, are you trying to manipulate the conversation? Are you trying to um, dominate the conversation? Are you trying to educate in the conversation? You have to look at your your intention in the conversation. Are you trying to look superior in the conversation? You know, all those things are going to be a factor in terms of what is the intention of the conversation. Is the conversation intent for a person to learn, or is it intent for someone to seem smarter, someone to seem dumber? You always have to look at, you know, that in terms of the conversation and where it's going, right? Because if if I find myself in a conversation where I'm just trying to win the conversation, then that's a different conversation, <laughs> you know. But if if it's in a conversation where we're actually trying to have an intelligent conversation, that's a whole nother conversation. Hmm. But you know, I want to remove myself from conversations where um, it's not mutual, where both of us are learning. Hmm. Yes, sir. Um, we're at the 20 minute mark in DF and Universe. We were live on IG, 
Um, if you got 15 minutes, brother, I'll come back for a bonus round right quick. I wanted to bring up a point about IG, and we'll leave it at that for the night. Okay. I, I noticed, brother, um, when I tried to log in, well, when you sent me the, the link, and I, um, it made me go through all these changes to, to log in. I'm not sure what, what happened, but it made me do a name change and all that other stuff. I but, see that. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened because I think initially, I, I don't know if you were in charge of the name change or I was in charge of the name change, but I'm not sure what happened. I thought it was because I had too many windows open. I had like 20 applications open. I thought it was fogging up the um, ability to connect with you. Okay. Um, Well, I'll I'll go back and look in on my end and see if anything. But I know initially I didn't do anything. It just popped up. Yeah, I just noticed it. Don't say um, Dr. Wayne Moore anymore. Yeah, now it's saying something. It's saying Sunny Moore, right. so I'm not sure why. What it is? Maybe it's because when I initially added you, I added you as Dr. Wayne Moore. Okay. And then when you came back in, your name was already Sunny Moore. Yeah, I'm not sure why that why that happened that way. Um, well, f- but I'll, I'll yeah I'll, I'll look at it on my end. yes sir. Um, we'll be right back after these messages. Peace to the universe. Peace to God. And we are back in the effing universe. One hour of black power thinking into the bonus segment. Fifteen minutes, brother, and that's it. <laughs> Sometimes we go over time. The last one was like two hours. I'm like, whoa. Mm. Be pissing people off. Like like the preacher in church that don't know how to end the church. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I didn't know it was that long. I I looked at it like damn. We we gotta stick to this. Um, keep our word. <laughs> with um, I used to hate going to my mother's church because them niggas would be in church all day long. Oh, bro, you preach to the choir. You preach to the choir, bro. I remember those days. <laughs> so I, it, what's what's funny about it is I don't even remember seeing you in the church. <laughs> Well, I lived in New York. We only came down there for the summers. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by and the time even, I met up with y'all, I was a heathen. <laughs> yeah, so even if you came down, well, I don't know that I went all the time. I, I, so maybe during the time that you went, I wasn't even there. So hmm. that, that that may have had something to do with it. So what I want to talk to you about tonight and so that we don't end up being the ones holding back the church. I see people in the age range of 12 to 16 with over 
two million followers on IG. Okay. Does that disturb you in any way? Um, I don't know if the answers disturb me. Um, it 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 doesn't surprise me. If I tell you that what they're talking about is part of those pictures, sounds, and images that indoctrinate our children down the wrong path, would it then begin to disturb you? Uh, yes and no. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yes and no. And the reason why I'm I'm saying that, and the reason why, um, uh, maybe it sounds like I'm not concerned, um, because I am. Mm-hmm. But uh, a part of what I what I am understanding is, um, as parents and as people of our age. The one thing that we didn't um, calculate for, or one of the things that we did not uh, anticipate, was social media. Mm. Right? We didn't we didn't grow up with social media, so we didn't know how to raise our kids with social media. Mm. And so, because we didn't um, anticipate it, because it didn't seem like a reality, but it is a necessity that our kids live with every day. And so um, I think a lot of us are mishandling social media, misunderstanding so social media and how it impacts our kids, right? So I think you and I had a conversation, um, maybe a podcast or so ago um, where I talked about the developmental, the development of the, of, of the mind, right? And so, psychologically, our brains are not um, advanced enough to deal with a lot of what social media does, right? So, I mean, even if we get back, so psychologically, let's let's just entertain some things for a minute. If we go back to Freud, or we go back to Pablo, or um, Piaget, or if we go into uh, Eric Erickson, None of what they taught had you could have anticipated. I think what today's psychologic psych, psychology um, had any effect, or that they anticipated psychologically, what today's impact of the internet or social media would have done. Hmm. Right. So. And I, so what I'm what what I'm meaning by that is, your 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 brain develops a certain way, regardless of way regardless of the way that um, I think that social media is developing, your brain is still kind of dinosauric, in a way, it's still developing the way that it's always historically developed. And reptilian mind, right? So. Um, Let's say you and I, right? The way that we grew up, we can remember TV cutting off at twelve midnight, right? There. So you 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 weren't inundated with with um, Pitched social media and in images. Yeah, you you weren't inundated with social media all day, television all day, cartoons all day, news all day. You your mind just wasn't inundated like that. 
Mm-hmm. But these kids is different. Their minds are. Mm-hmm. They 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 have a cell phone. There's not only a cell phone, but it's a TV. It, it's a news anchor. It's um. It, it's, it's 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 a friend. Um. Uh, uh, app. You know, it's it's all of these different things at one time. So your kid doesn't need, necessarily need to come downstairs to <laughs> sit in the room with you, you know, to for family to engage. That kid can literally sit in his room or her room all day with <laughs> just her cell phone, his or her cell phone. Now, when I was raising my kids, I purposely didn't put a TV in my kids' room. <laughs> so I, and, and I only, and I didn't put a TV in my, my bedroom, and I still don't have one. Mm. Because I wanted to force family interaction. Mm. Right? And the way that I did that was I only put a TV in the family room. Mm. I put a TV in the family room and a TV in the basement. Mm. So just in case I wanted to watch sports and the family didn't, I could go watch <laughs> football. But other than that, mm-hmm. the only TV that could be watched was a TV in the family room. Everybody mm. had to come into the family room to interact to watch TV. Mm-hmm. But but because you know see why you're not worried. <laughs> you got the, your bases covered. Well, I mean that's that's just the way I, I, I raised. That's just where <laughs> I, I made the household. Now, when when I started giving my kids cell phones, mm-hmm. it became different mm-hmm. because then they started spending more time. Because now it wasn't about the TV. And initially, I was thinking it was just about the TV. <laughs> because that's that's what I grew up on, right? <laughs> what was the TV. So I wasn't thinking like, you know, if I give them a cell phone, right? they're going to utilize a cell phone like use a TV. <laughs> but that's what happened, right? <laughs> so what started what started to happen was my kids would be in their room. They didn't need, they didn't need a big TV, <laughs> right? And <laughs> so what I was thinking was the big TV was... Would, you know, would, would, would be the thing that would gravitate everybody, you know, to one place. Mm-hmm. But that generation of kids didn't it's need a gone. big TV. <laughs> they, 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 they didn't need a big TV. Right. All they needed was their cell phone. They would watch movies. They would yep. goop that. They would YouTube. They would do everything they needed to do on their cell phone. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what I didn't anticipate, right? And so, again, so going back to what you were initially asking me about was I surprised or am I surprised? No, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Because this new generation, that's how they communicate. Mm-hmm. That's how they interact. So having followers, like for me, like it, it didn't make sense to be a follower of anything mm-hmm. for the most part. Because being a follower, you know, meant that you didn't have an independent thought. Mm-hmm. You're just going to follow a bunch of people, be all over the place. But this new generation does not see being a follower as a negative thing. Right. In fact, they see following as being a positive thing. And the right. more people you follow, you know... It's called trending to them. Right, right. So the more, more people you follow, the more popular you are. Right. So, so, so it's the you opposite of, of... Right, right. So you want... you. So the thing is, I don't know where this technology came from, but it made it popular to become a follower. Hmm. So the so if you are a follower, then you're in the know, right? Then you are a cool person. Hmm. If you're not a follower, you don't follow 
certain people and you don't have big following and you're not following big people, then you're kind of uncool. Hmm. Which goes contrary to the way I grew up, hmm. the way I see things. You know, I could care less about following a whole bunch of people or hmm. being a follower of a whole bunch of people. But it makes me dinosauric to my children. Exactly. And here's the danger that um, I want to present to you and to the universe. Um, we talked about in our first segment the problem with entertainment planting seeds. Um, it may not seem real to everybody, but it is an effective tool of trick psyche, tricking the psyche to believing one thing over the reality. And uh, I think that's the danger when you have that type of power into the hands of a person that's very impressionable at the age of 12 and 16, who is not a follower, but is the leader. That person informing your children on what they should be doing and thinking at 12 and 16 years old is the danger that we will be hit with when they turn 20 to 30. Those are the formidable ages of war. And uh, we're going to see what that manifests to. I can't predict what it will be, but I think it should be considered a danger. Not something that um, should be stopped necessarily, but something that we should be aware of and uh, what it will become. I'd like to also remind people that we started last week's podcast the day uh, uh, MLK Eve. So we weren't able to actually, and I actually forgot to meant give an honorable mention to Martin Luther King and his contribution to society. And um, I think it's something that deserves recognition and being put out into the universe. Um, there was one other note before we go, brother. And that was the death of Gregory Sierra. Most people knew him as uh, Chico. Not Chico. Uh, what was his name? Julio. Julio on uh, Sanford and Son. He had the goat and um, Sanford uh, would always pick on him for being Latino. He was also in uh, Barney Miller, for those that remember that sitcom. So he's, uh, he was in two popular sitcoms. He dies at 83, Gregory Sierra. Any last words, brother? Well, bro, how you going to mention this Chiquino um, brother without mentioning Hank Aaron passing away? Uh, I didn't even see that, and I'm glad you mentioned it. And that's why there's two minds on here you have to deal with, <laughs> not just one. In case I miss something, uh, shout out to Hank Aaron. When did he pass, brother? I think he passed. Uh, I'm going to look it up right now. Not to. 
Well, today is a new day, but yesterday. Wow. Damn sure did. Rest in peace to this brother. Mm-hmm. He was iconic. And definitely what he meant to the black community. Um, you know, and I, I I'll say that, you know, particularly as it relates to um the uh um black Negro League. Because my father my father in law actually played in the black uh Negro League. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Was an American professional baseball right fielder who played 23 seasons in the major leagues 1954 to 1976 dies at 86 so he was the first person right first black person Mm -hmm. in the major leagues that came over from the negro league amazing guy And I think it's historical to note that. Yes, sir. Indeed. And we are at the 1509 mark in DF and Universe. It is ironically 444. And on that note, we're going to give them a break, brother, and <laughs> go back and prepare for tomorrow night. And we shall take over the universe once again. Indeed. Peace to the universe. Peace. Peace to the gods and earth. Indeed.